0: Now, this passage, right before this passage, it's kind of important to kind of put this in context. Jesus um, is teaching, and he talks about the idea that the way of salvation is narrow, the way to destruction is wide. And he also talks about the idea that there's this coming time when the gospel of God will be opened up to all people, um, and that those who necessarily are in close proximity to Jesus will not necessarily be the ones who enter into his kingdom. So that's kind of the, back, the immediate backdrop of this particular passage. So we'll pick it up in verse 31. Luke thirteen thirty-one. Listen to the word of God. At that very hour, some Pharisees came to Jesus and told him, Leave this place and get away, because Herod wants to kill you. But Jesus replied, Go tell that fox. Look, I will keep driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for it is not admissible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stoned those who sent to her. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are unwilling. Look, your house is left to you desolate. And I tell you that you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. May God bless the hearing and reading of His Holy Word. Let us pray. Lord, open up our eyes and our hearts that through Your Word proclaimed, we may encounter You, the Living Word. The man at the door of the mosque said, Hello, brother. And thus the killing began. Live cast on Facebook, like a video game. And of all the terribleness of it, there was one particular story that I can't get out of my head in which the killer actually chased down a three-year-old child and shot them. Now, you may ask, what kind of person does this? But the truth of the matter is that our species is very good at killing the vulnerable. I mean, that's one of the reasons we're on the top of the food chain. There are other animals that are stronger than us, right? But we're more crafty. So we have survived, in a large part, by taking advantage of those who are more vulnerable than us. The history of our species is one of finding ways to kill and subdue others. First time I saw Jerusalem, I had been in the Galilee, and it was, the, if you've ever been there, I don't know if any of you have ever been there, but most people, most of us who are Christians, find the Galilee very moving because you can almost imagine. Uh, although it's obviously changed a lot. But you can imagine Jesus uh, by the Galilee. I uh, actually stood in Capernaum. In, in the temple. Or not the temple. But in the very synagogue in which Jesus most likely preached. Even Nazareth, where there is a new church. The Church of Annunciation is a beautiful church. And, and so that is very moving. And going through the north of Israel seeing different parts that you know I grew up learning from the Bible was exciting. Mount Carmel, different places. But part of what had brought me to Israel was having worked to try to bring some understanding both in this country and abroad to the crisis between Israel and the Palestinians and and how that disagreement even gets fought out in this country. So I had spent a lot of time dealing with conflict between peoples. Not only between Jews and Palis- or Israelis and Palestinians, but even in this country, the very evasive and elusive problem of anti-Semitism. And so it was towards twilight when we approached Jerusalem and we, and we pulled up on a, on a hill, the top of the Mount of Olives, and looked out over Jerusalem. And my first response was, Really? (laughs) This is what we've been fighting about all these years? It's not that the city isn't beautiful. Of course, what I'm looking at when I was looking at then is certainly not the same thing David built or Jesus saw. Or for that matter, it's not even the same place the crusaders came to. But nonetheless, it struck me that so much of, of human history and so much human violence surrounded this city. During its long history, Jerusalem has been attacked 52 times at least, captured and recaptured 44 times, besieged 23 times, and totally destroyed at least twice. The current city that we often see in pictures was actually the walls were not are not the walls of Herod or the walls of Solomon or David. They actually are the remain remains or the ancient walls of Solomon the Magnificent. The Muslim conqueror who built the, rebuilt the city in 1535. So Jerusalem is layers and layers of history, layers and layers. Of destruction and death. And so our passage today is Jesus in his own time mourning over Jerusalem, mourning over the evil and violence humans can do to one another. This passage though has a kind of an insidious history and so I think it's important today, and now I'm approaching this, is what did it mean in Jesus' time? What has it meant? And what may it mean for us in the future? Now, what did it mean when Jesus was talking about this? Well, first of all, we have to identify Herod. There are numbers of Herods in the Bible. This is uh, a son of Herod the Great. Uh, Now, great is because he did some great building, not because he was necessarily a great guy. All right? And Herod... Divided when he died, he divided his kingdom among three of his living sons. Um, three of his sons, the actually the one who would have been the heir, he had killed, and he had uh, two of his other sons killed as well. He was a bit paranoid, all right. And so <laughs> a bit paranoid is an understatement. So Herod Antipas is actually his real name, and sometimes he's referred to as Herod the Tetrarch. He was uh, the son that was in charge of Galilee and in another region. Um, he was about 50 years old at the time of John the Baptist and Jesus. And he's infamous, if we remember from the John the Baptist story, of having married his half-brother's wife, Herodias. And, of course, in the course of trying to please Herodias, um, he has John the Baptist executed, in part because John the Baptist spoke out against Uh, his marrying his brother's wife. And so the word comes to Jesus that Herod wants to kill him, which is not surprising, right? Herod had a bit of treachery in his background. If you remember the film, Jesus Christ Superstar, how Herod is portrayed in that film may actually be pretty close to the nature of his character. I'll let you look that one up. At any rate, so he's warned that Herod wants to kill him, and Jesus says, calls him, tell that old fox. Now probably what that means is kind of similar to what you and I would mean today. uh, Someone who was sly, deceitful. So it's not really a term of endearment or or respect. But basically what he tells Herod is, you're not going to be the one to stop me. And he speaks in not very veiled language, for those of us who know the story, that he will continue his work, and on the third day, he will rise again. Because he is destined to die in Jerusalem. And of course, the famous statement, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets. I'm sorry, I have not memorized in the King James Version. And some of you may be saying that anthem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets. So how many prophets did Jerusalem actually kill? Well, you can make a list of them. In the Bible, Uriah was killed at the time of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was all but killed. They kept trying to kill him, but he he escaped. But the tradition has that the survivors of Jerusalem killed him. Um, there's a later legend that Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, was killed during the reign of Manasseh. There is a Zechariah that's killed in 2 Chronicles and it could very well be by the time of Jesus that the priest Zechariah got merged with the prophet Zechariah. Of course, there's history of other people who were, uh, who were killed because of him speaking out for various reasons. Now, what Jesus is saying here is that the city and both its temple and the promise that it had been given to this city... Part of what we read in uh, the Genesis passage had a history of violence. Jerusalem itself was conquered. It was not a originally a Jewish-Israeli city. David conquered it from the Jebusites and made it his own city. And a city had, had a history of violence against those who spoke too loudly or challenged the wrong people at the wrong time. Jesus will die at the hands of the Roman but with the blessing of the temple leadership of his time. And frankly, it seems pretty clear that even his own people turned against him because Jesus was not what they expected. That's why the people turned on him. The Jewish leadership turned on him because he was a threat to their security. And the Romans killed them because they could. (laughs) Right? The Romans killed them because that's what they did. You don't tow the line, we kill you. Matter of fact, sometimes they kill people who even towed the line because they could. So what Jesus is prophesying here and making a statement about is that you are going to have an opportunity to choose peace, to choose God's salvation, but instead, you're going to choose my death. And this is not the first time you've killed the Word of God. Now, what doesn't it mean? There is a long history of, this goes back to the late 1st century, and begins in the 2nd century, of saying that because the Jews rejected Jesus, Jerusalem not only was destroyed, and Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans, and it once again was destroyed in 135 again by the Romans during another revolt, but that the reason that the Jerusalem had been destroyed was because of the rejection of Jesus. And not only did the early Christian church teach this, but it became part and parcel of the Christian understanding that because Jews did not accept Jesus as the Messiah, God judged them by having their city destroyed. And at the time, in the second century, Jews for centuries were were not even allowed to go near or go in the ruins of the city. And so throughout history, different Christians have observed the fact, for instance, one of the first people to say this was a second century Christian thinker who said um, to this, because you have rejected Christ, uh, you alone may suffer what you now justly suffer, that your land is desolate, your cities burned by fire, and that strangers may eat your fruit in your presence. Not one of you may go up to Jerusalem. And, That was written in the 2nd century. 1,300 years later, Martin Luther says this. The Jews have failed to learn any lesson from the terrible distress that has been theirs forever, for over 1,400 years in exile. (coughs) They have rejected God, and God therefore has rejected them. Even to this day, their city lies in ruins, and they are no longer in possession of it. Let Jews bite on this nut and dispute the question as long as they wish. For such ruthless wrath of God is sufficient evidence that they surely have erred and gone astray. Therefore this work of wrath is proof that the Jews surely rejected but are surely rejected by God are no longer his people, and neither is he any longer their God. Martin Luther. This idea, That the Jews not only lost their city and their land, but as evidence of God's ongoing wrath against them, was part of the theological justification for centuries of Christian anti Semitism. In some levels, the most irrational of all hate. Okay, right? I mean, a lot of prejudice has, a, has at least a grain of rationality because ultimately prejudice is a lie that justifies our anxiety and our fears, right? But usually you can come up with some sort of, of lie that justifies your prejudice. But if you stop and think of it, for centuries Christians were prejudiced, oppressed, and even killed the people who were kinsmen of their Lord and Savior and the people who wrote their Bible. <laughs> Christians were prejudiced against the kinspeople of their Lord and Savior. People justify Christians justified putting Jews in ghettos, expelling them from their countries, even killing them and burning their scriptures in spite of the fact that the Christian scriptures were all written by Jews, that their Lord and Savior was the Jewish Messiah. Yet humans have never been stopped by irrational behavior, particularly when it's fueled by hate, whether that hate it be racism or religious hatred. Now, there are a lot of different reasons for current anti-Semitism. Even to this day, the chief number of hate crimes that happen in this country that are religiously motivated are against Jews. The vast majority of hate crimes are against Jews first. The second group that are most likely targeted are Muslims. In spite of the propaganda, there is no war on Christianity in this country. But if you're a Jew or Muslim, as we found out last year in Pittsburgh, for instance, not, not so safe. Now, it's interesting, there are right wing versions of anti Semitism. Matter of fact, most of the hate crimes in this country come from the right wing uh, anti Semitism movements. In Europe, it's a mixed bag. Okay. But what is true that it's only rise, and of course, you know, it's not hate against a particular religion. Is not it's not just Jews, obviously, that are objects of the hate. But what's particularly problematic is sometimes this hatred is located in a Christian tradition. Jesus, says, speaking against the Jerusalem of his time, is not and never has been a justification. Christian prejudice or hatred of the Jewish people. Perhaps one of the most moving moments one of the most moving moments in history recent history of this issue was Pope John Paul II crippled by Parkinson's shaking his voice and his words slurred in 2000 at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem during Lent prayed these words God of our fathers you chose Abraham and his descendants to bring your name to the nations we are deeply saddened by the behavior of those who in the course of history have caused these children of yours to suffer and ask your forgiveness we wish to commit ourselves to genuine brotherhood with people of the covenant now the Pope asking for forgiveness for 1800 years of Christian anti-Semitism doesn't make it all right but I think it's a symbol of the fact that Christians now are realizing that's not what this means but we need to realize there are still many people out there sometimes in the name of politics both on the right and on the left who still use these familiar tropes to fuel hate Well, what does it mean today? Matthew's version of this text is said as he approaches Jerusalem for the last time. Matter of fact, very possibly from the same vantage point that I first saw Jerusalem. Luke divides the statements. But in Luke's gospel, when Jesus approaches Jerusalem, we are told that he wept over it. And then says this, What that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace? What if you had known the things that were made for peace? I think as God stands over and against human history, Jerusalem, Jerusalem could have been Athens, Athens, Rome, Rome. London, London, Paris, Paris, Berlin, Berlin, St. Petersburg, St. Petersburg, Moscow, Moscow, Beijing, Beijing, Washington, Washington, Richmond, Richmond, Birmingham, Birmingham, Kigali, Rwanda, Kigali, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, and Friday it could have been Christchurch, Christchurch. Whenever we as humans choose the things that make for hate, fear, prejudice, and ignorance, we have chosen godlessness. And that not only leads to moral and physical death, but spiritual death as well. This past week uh, in my lecture, my preaching lecture, I had my students uh, listen to Martin Luther King's um, mountain sermon. And they didn't realize it that Martin Luther King preached, I've been to the mountain the night before he died. These are students who grew up in Korea, so they aren't as familiar with the history, although American, many Americans are not familiar with the history as well. And it's very powerful. The last words of that sermon Martin Luther King says, well I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. He's allowed me to go up to the mountain. I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as possible will get to the promised land. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Martin Luther King's freedom on the mountain as he faced his death was, I believe, in a large part, a function of his faith in the one who wept on a mountain for a world that would choose violence over peace, judgment, over mercy, the rule of self over the lordship of God the tyranny of death over the way of life. It may have only been one man who pulled the trigger that next day in Memphis, but let there be no doubt that Martin Luther King died because of sin of racism in his country, and people are still dying because of that sin. Neither his death, nor turning him into an icon, has taken away America's original sin of racism. But let us not forget It may have been Jerusalem that killed Jesus, but the whole human race is responsible. But the mystery of the death of Jesus is that the violence of human rebellion, whether it happens in our heart or whether it happens in a mosque in New Zealand, was precisely what Jesus freely gave his life to redeem us from and to stop the human cycle of rejecting God, which always leads to our not caring and rejecting our brothers and sisters. In our collect today, St. Patrick reminds us that Christ is in everyone we meet, that God created every human being we encounter and that Christ died, not only for you, but for every person you see. We cannot change the world today, but we can change ourselves. Not by our own power, but we can change by saying yes to the liberating message and gospel of Jesus Christ. And by saying yes to To Christ in everyone I see, in Christ in everyone I hear, Christ in all, as Christ is in me. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen and Amen. Let's stand together and proclaim what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed.